0: There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Data show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every
1: continent. It's the rate—that's of great concern. I what do you put that rate down to? You. Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some. I still doubt that we have the will to act, but I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource.
2: Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective. My name is Mark and this is an episode of Serially Curious with Mark and Eve. But originally it was intended as something else entirely. Artbreaker is a show on the Climactic network that's a little unique. But it's also an homage. It's unique in the sense it's a composite show with multiple hosts making documentaries about a variety of artistic disciplines. But it's also an homage to one of my favorite podcasts, Song Exploder. You're listening to Song Exploder, where musicians take apart their songs and piece by piece tell the story of how they were made. My name is Rishi Keshe Hirwe. Breaker is exploring the intersection of creativity and art and the climate crisis. How does climate awareness change the work of creative people, and how does their work reflect the times that we're in? This episode's guest, Brenna Quinlan, is a permaculture illustrator and a perfect Art Breaker guest. So the only reason that this is not an Art Breaker episode is we went broader in the chat even I had with Brenna, and not as deep into particular pieces as we do on that show. But if you enjoy this, I highly recommend you check out Art Breaker from climactic.fm, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, to introduce Brenna, over to you, Eve.
0: Thanks, Mark. Eve here. Brenna is a permaculture illustrator, who you may know from her prolific Instagram profile, her work as the illustrator of Retro Suburbia, the go-to book for permaculture, or from her new kids' book, Our Street, What I like about Brenna's work is that she beautifully illustrates just how many ways you can engage to build a better and more inclusive world. No matter where you are in your journey to climate justice, Brenna will illustrate a place where you fit. And now to our chat with Brenna Quinlan.
3: I'm Brenna Quinlan. I'm an illustrator and educator, and I focus my time and creativity on things like climate change, permaculture, social justice and biodiversity. I live at Meliadora. It's the permaculture property established by David Holmgren and his partner Sue Dennett in central Victoria, Australia. I've been here for four wonderful years and we milk goats and grow vegetables and really practice what we preach.
0: Let's start off by introducing your new book, which is Our Street. Would you like to talk about the inspiration for it? And what's it
3: about? It's an interesting story actually. Um, Beck Lowe, who's involved with Meliadora Publishing, which is the publishing house run out of this permaculture demonstration site where we live, she was visiting Western Australia to teach a course about retro suburbia, one of David Hongren's recent books about how to do permaculture and live a regenerative life in the suburbs. And as she was teaching the course, one of the course participants is a teacher in Western Australia. And he said, you know, it would just be so great if part of this book became a resource for teachers. Like, what if, what if you did a picture book about it? And she thought, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Um, there happens to be a, another picture book called My Place. Uh, the name of the author escapes me at the moment, but it was big in the curriculum um, in the late 80s, early 90s. And it has a similar structure. It kind of charts the changes in one place, in one street over the decades from a child's point of view. And of course the children change as the decades go and it kind of goes back in time. What um, the first chapter of Retro Suburbia does is it goes forward in time and talks about the changes in one fictitious street with four houses on it called Aussie Street. So our street is really based on that. The difference is we're telling it from a kid's point of view And Becklow was the author. Her mum is heavily involved in children's book publishing. So that was something she never thought she would do. And I said, we all turn into our parents in the end, Beth. So look out. (laughs) And then of course I was brought on as illustrator and collaborator. So it's a bit of a mind bender. It's a bit of a puzzle of a book. You can kind of go forward and then go back and you can see from the 50s, 60s, 70s that kids grow up and become adults in this fictitious street. Um, You can see in the 50s, one of the families has goats. And by the 2030s, there are goats appearing again in the street because things have changed. So it's one of those books that kind of gives more the more that you read it.
0: I love that. There's a lot that you just talked about that I want to unpack. Let's start off with, do you mind describing where you live to the listener and how it's different?
3: So Meliadora is a 2.2 acre, one hectare. Permaculture Demonstration Site. David Hongren is the co-originator of the permaculture concept. So he and Bill Mollison brought permaculture to the world, brought the concept of permaculture to the world, back in the 1970s, and he lives here still in the big house, and in the past 34 years they've also built a medium house where Amy and Fernando currently live, and Milkwood Permaculture used to live there as well and the tiny house where I live with my partner Charlie McGee, he's a permaculture musician. And we have currently seven goats, three milking goats, there are 130 fruit and nut trees, there are five annual veggie beds, and we're not a farm, we don't grow food to sell, but we do grow enough for all of us to eat. We only bring in a small amount of what we consume, mainly um, we don't make chickpeas or, or grain like uh, wheat or oats, so we buy them from a local biodynamic farm. But almost everything else we do produce ourselves, uh, we've got a whole bunch of chickens and whatever we have that's extra, we preserve it for the leaner months or we share it with the community. So these guys, it's like a thriving hub of permaculture. There are always people coming to stay, interns coming to learn. Jasper's been here for four months already, and that's been fantastic. And we do tours here, courses every now and again. And it's also just a fabulous place to call home. We we live here as well. It's, it's not just for show. It's actually functioning in the real world. <laughs> that's such a great
0: description. Thank you so much. And I already kind of... I'm from New South Wales, but I'd already frothed over, Um, but that's okay. So I currently work as an environmental educator at Reverse Garbage, which is a big reuse center in Sydney on Cadigal and Wongal land. One of the greatest parts about working there is that when you get this sort of, um, collective, creative, environmentally minded group of people all together, the roots that run through the place are just so deep, and you feel so connected to, you know, what you're doing and your community. And I'm imagining that you experience something similar, and and how that in inspires and influences your creative work, because it, you know, that sense of community definitely influences mine. So I'm just, yeah.
3: Yeah it's been really precious living at Meliodora and Dalesford and Hepburn the, the town where um, Meliodora is based is a sort of extended family of like-minded folk. A lot of my friends in the same the group of young kids from Dalesford who are in their 20s and 30s a lot of them are primary producers so making ethical pork or ethical um vegetables you know organic food um one girl runs uh, a local baker and she only uses makes her sourdough only from grain from the local area so it's really inspiring not just to be here at Meliadora where we've got this influx of permaculture heroes and you know gardening australia will turn up and then there'll be a happen films production happening and making a documentary and then you know the next day there'll be a permaculture design certificate group come through and you get to meet all of those amazing people at such a precious time in their life. It's quite a a groundbreaking course, um, the the permaculture design course. And so not only do we have access to that, those who live here, but also Dalesford itself. There are are free workshops going on all the time. There's a monthly one called uh, Wild Fennel, which is about herbalism. And you can just turn up and for four hours on a Saturday, learn about everything you ever wanted to know about herbalism. There's also Culture Club, which is about ferments. Uh, Again, that's a a monthly free one. There's a free beekeeping group. So all of these are put on by people in our local community who really believe in the non-monetary economy, in sharing the abundance of knowledge and in helping to make the world a better place by empowering the people around them.
0: Fantastic. So really, it's more of a question of how can you not get involved in creative stuff from where you are? Um, But um, so when did you start? Like, I think there's always that step where you take what you're creating for yourself and go, now I'm going to put this out into the world. I'm going to, you know, share it with other people. And so what um, drove you to start doing that initially?
3: I think for me, the point where I decided to yeah, send the message out to the world was really when David Hongren asked if I would like to illustrate his book, Retro Suburbia. So before that, I had always been an artist but as I learned more and more about permaculture and climate and sustainability, I was really, there was a tension there because the artist path in a lot of ways is quite shallow. It's, it's, it's create art, especially if you're a painter, get it in galleries and sell art to people for lots of money. And that's a game I could have played. That's a path I could have gone down. But I was just lacking meaning there. And it seems like, you know, it's we're running out of time to just do things that look pretty. Uh, it didn't sit well with my newfound set of ethics. So I was thinking a lot about how I could express my need to, to create, to draw, to paint, but overlap that with something a bit more meaningful. And as I was Thinking this way over the course of a few years, I was volunteering at different places and eventually landed here at Meliodora as an intern. And after four months of interning, so volunteering uh, five days a week, learning all about all the things that happen here, David said, hey, we heard you can draw and (laughs) we happen to need an illustrator for this huge important book project I'm working on. What do you think about doing that? And I was absolutely terrified but also totally stoked. <laughs> I mean, that was just my dream come true, that I could collaborate with Dave on something like this. And, it, you know, I'd honestly never considered illustration before. Like I'd, I'd spent quite a few years living in South America and I guess artists there practice art in certain ways, but illustrating just wasn't an idea I'd come across. It wasn't a profession I'd seen anyone get into. I didn't really understand what it was, uh, but I got pretty good at understanding that uh, pretty quickly <laughs> through David's book. I don't, if Anyone who's seen it, it's quite a hefty number. There are over 130 illustrations in that book. I think it's 800 pages or something. It's, it's like a course in paper yes. form. So that was really the moment when I realised, oh, my passion, my, you know, almost obsession with art can actually – be used, not, not that it wouldn't be used for good before, but really be used as an outlet for the things that I want to say about where we're at. For the, the great books I'm reading, I can channel it through my art. For the messages I hear in permaculture courses or from the people who come to stay at this wonderful place, the things that they're saying, I can channel that towards a greater good through this skill that I happen to have, which is my ability to, to draw and, and design.
2: Has anybody said to you that like what you're doing before the illustration, the chance to work on retro suburbia was kind of you're, you were living on a permaculture property that was kind of outside of the rest of society. It was kind of like you'd stepped sideways into this little pocket universe, but here you were from that, you know, that two acre property able to reach back into society and like bring lessons out of it back into like wider consciousness. I'm just curious if there's like kind of like a, a an image kind of associated with that. Does that kind of seem like you were off to the side but able to bring back from that experience these life lessons to a lot of people rather than just like stepping to the side like kind of the equivalent of like going on a retreat and just, you know, impacting yourself, but only yourself in that? Does that kind of resonate with you at all? I just like that's the image that came to me.
3: While I was living at Meliadora, while I've been living at Meliadora, I guess part of my process with my art has become, you know, hearing good ideas, seeing great things, seeing things that inspire me, experiencing things that really make sense to me. And this place, Meliadora, is really a hub of excellent ideas in practice, always trying to make things work better, get better. And so as I'm experiencing these things that to me seem so exciting and important, it's been so precious to have my art as an outlet for this, as a way to record what's going on here and then to share it with other people and hopefully share a little bit of the inspiration I'm feeling while I'm here as well.
0: Yeah, I would say also one of the things that I really love about your artwork is that it's so hopeful and joyful which when you think about climate illustration, isn't really, um, what people think of when they think about climate illustration. It's often quite apocalyptic and that sort of thing. And so I guess, how does the artwork that you're expressing as a sort of outlet for all of these lessons that you're learning, how do you then see that translating into your visions for the future? as you've illustrated in our street?
3: It's a bit of a trap to assume that people who don't act on climate change or who don't believe in climate change or who are undecided about climate change, that all they need is more facts. Because the reasons that we don't throw our whole lives into this cause are valid and varied. And some of them can actually be made worse by hearing more doom and gloom because it's really scary. And as people we evolve to think about what we're eating tonight for dinner and the people who live in the small social group that we grow up and live with. And huge distant issues that that get worse over time and that may be caused by many different things that are out of our control aren't really issues that we know how to process well as people. Our brains haven't evolved this way. So throwing facts at at people doesn't actually inspire action for the majority of the population. And so I've taken a particular interest in climate communication and the most effective ways to get the message out there to inspire positive change and also to inspire hope and, and fun and a want in people to do things that are not only better for humanity as a whole, better for, for the planet, but also better for themselves. And I guess permaculture has really given me a lot of answers in that. Permaculture is really focused on doing things that make sense for everybody, but also for us personally. It's, it shouldn't be doom and gloom. It shouldn't be really hard work to make a positive difference in the world. It doesn't have to be. It can actually be really fun and vibrant and engaging. So I try to encapsulate that in my messaging. You know, it's been a gorgeous journey to be transferring what goes on in my mind and what makes sense for me onto something on paper and then releasing that to the world through social media and through other channels and have people give me feedback that says, wow, I really needed to hear that today or I was starting to feel really negative or maybe like what I do doesn't matter but then there was a message in there that resonated, and yeah, as society, it's you know we're we're really broken. We're struggling with this huge issue ahead of us, various issues, and we can't individually solve the problem, but collectively we can. And we're seeing the beginnings of that now. It's actually a really exciting decade to be alive. It it is scary, and things are things are getting real but people are getting on board as well. So, gosh, what, what a time to be able to be part of this movement, to inspire people to join it, to inspire others to stay, to stick it out and, um, yeah, to inspire people to do their bit and, and know that we've, we've all got each other's backs. I really, um, like, thank you for saying that. I
0: really love that. I, I, Mark knows this, I've struggled with my place in the climate movement a lot and one of my favorite like pieces of art I go back to is your illustration of this is what the climate movement looks like and it's got people riding bikes and people growing in their gardens and people protesting and people organizing and people you know and just all of these people doing all of this little patchwork of things that you can see on the page and um, I think yeah how important it is to shed light on the more gentle aspects of this movement and that are all really important as well where it's not right at the forefront and in the marches although they are also very important and so i guess with in terms of you said like the art as activism aspect of your work where do you like how do you decide between making an an illustration that is about permaculture or um compost or something that's very important but very gentle versus when you start to make a
3: much more politicized post? Everybody through their lives is somewhere on the journey, right? And so as, as we move on, we move to different stages of the journey and sometimes we take steps forward and sometimes we take steps back because we're, we're working full-time or maybe we've lost our job or our rent goes up or we have a couple of kids. Or, you know, there are there are things that happen in our lives and then every person is on a different stage of the journey as well. And so for me, it it makes the most sense to reach the most amount of people and to communicate in the most effective way to create works that speak to different people at different stages. And for some people, it's about really taking that plunge to plant a seed for the first time in your life. And gosh, the magic of that stage, when you first see a little lettuce or radish poking up out of the ground, and then you you, you make that one radish into the best salad you've ever had in your life. It is such a beautiful thing. And then other people are growing food for entire communities and drawing down carbon in the soil and, but asking themselves, you know, why aren't they chaining themselves more to a tree or to (laughs) why aren't they showing up for the school strike for climate? So it's, it's about letting people know that we're all in this together. It's really important to grow your first radish. It's also really important to do what makes you come alive and makes you feel really happy. And that's going to be so different for every person. So yeah, you got to you got to have humor about it. You've got to have some works that are serious because that's what some people are ready for. But others are just about chickens and and a joke, you know. <laughs> and and that's really important as well. <laughs> we're not we're not computers, so you can't just give out the same thing to people every single day.
2: So if you spend too much time around someone like myself, it's very easy to get down in the dumps about the future. Because you've kind of taken on that role, Brenna, and you you inhabit it so well as like a source of perspective and optimism and hey look at all this the good stuff that's happening even on even if it's really little look at these chickens look at these goats don't they make you feel happy like uh, is there a way that you kind of psych yourself up to do that or like is there a way that you kind of you get yourself into that joyful place to be able to create that artwork and i'm kind of ideally hoping for like it could be very i, I It'd actually be delightful if it is a piece of Formidable Vegetable music or something. But like, is there is there something that like, you know, always kind of brings a smile to your face and your heart as you sit down to, to do an illustration? Ideally, I'm looking for something I can put a sound bed of underneath this, <laughs> full disclosure.
3: <laughs> um, Interestingly, Charlie McGee, my partner from the Van Formidable Vegetable, uh he gets really down in the dumps if he reads the news too much. So, you know, it's about finding what works for you and what the ba- balance is right for you. And so I read the news because I love it. I just think it's fascinating and it doesn't matter how dark it seems, it never really affects me in that way. And I'll tell him what he needs to know every day. So he's still in the loop. Um, and everyone has their strategy and that's his. And it, I'll tell you, it's made such a huge difference to both of our lives. But I think... Um, you know, there are lots of strategies to to process the huge and scary reality that we live in and for some people, for me for a time, it was telling three friends who I knew were really well-read on climate change and were concerned about the way things are heading as well, telling them that I'd just like to check in with them once a month and have an open conversation about it. And that was really therapeutic for all of us because you can't always bring these things up with your Parents or your housemates, people don't always know how to talk about it or want to talk about it. And the other part of it is just, (laughs) as funny as it sounds, one of my mottos, and I have this pinned up on um, my inspiration board, is make climate change fun again. (laughs) Do, surround yourself with things that are funny, you want to read the memes, you want to read the comics, you just, it doesn't, it's serious, but it doesn't have to be depressing. And Formidable Vegetable has some amazing songs about how we can change the world or how we are changing the world in really positive ways. But the music is so lighthearted and so wonderful. And I'll tell you, when there's a whole bunch of people at one of their concerts, all dancing together and singing out the same chorus, all with that positive energy about doing good in the world, it really feels like we're making a difference. You go home the next week just supercharged to go and go and do your bit.
2: <laughs> Is there a, a particular piece that always gets you feeling like that when you hear it sung live? I'll, I'll be able to find some like, you know live recordings.
3: It's interesting with Formidable veggies music because they explore the fun and the joy side of life and of regenerative living. And so one of their songs, Yield, is probably my favourite. It's such a good song to dance to. And I've been to a lot of formidable veg gigs when we're on tours and teaching school students is one of the things we do together and um, always have a concert at the end so everyone can have a boogie. So Yield is a really fun one. But then they also have the shadow side of that, which is the grief and the sadness um, and the song trees eat us all in the end is a quote from permaculture co-originator Bill Mollison about how we don't really die because the trees end up eating us and living on long after we're gone so that's probably my second favorite song
1: Designer, you're now a recliner, so long and thanks for the yield. And your tools left behind have all sharpened our minds to keep growing the change in the field. Yeah, the future is looking quite shady under all the ideas that you've grown. And to look out the window at food in the ground gives us power to face the unknown. But trees eat us all in the end. So plant one for me when I'm gone. Then if you hear that I've died, you can tell them they've lied. I'm just shading out somebody's lawn. Happen into the rhizomes of wisdom, you wove them all into a tale.
0: Yeah. I always find that for me, at least the hardest laughs are always like when there's humour that cuts through something really dark going on. When often a joke finally cuts through that darkness, it's like absolutely the most mood shifting thing that can possibly happen. I work with kids. You clearly work with kids and I find that like kids are just the funniest chaotic beings ever. So (laughs) how do you find teaching as informing your life and
3: creativity and things like that? It's an interesting question. I teach children and adults. So I teach the permaculture design course normally it takes the form of a two week residential course, but sometimes it can be just on weekends or a few days a week. I teach that to adults and I teach people how to teach that course. So that's also to adults. And then I go through our permaculture school tours teaching elements of permaculture to kids. And one of the things that really struck me with teaching these ideas to children is we would normally start a you know, like an intro to permaculture workshop by going around the circle and just saying what we're concerned about and the level of sophistication coming from these seven and eight year old kids about their concerns were things like oil drilling in the bites and deforestation and how that affects the koala population and back when I was in primary school I was thinking gosh I was it was all about recycling and energy-efficient light bulbs, wasn't it? And that was basically the extent of it. And I remember staying up at night worrying because I couldn't, I, I couldn't understand how those small actions would actually affect the huge issues that we were facing, whereas kids now are just so much more advanced. And the answers that the kids give in that concerns exercise We then later go on to say, well, how can we meet these concerns with something like permaculture? Um, The answers they were giving were stronger than the answers we get in adult courses and that, you know, that gives me a lot of hope for the future. It also drives me to want to create more resources to help these kids have some of the answers because we can all feel concerned about something but the feedback we're getting from these kids is, oh, well, my parents don't really know What we can do about all this or my teachers don't really have the answers so i guess that's why formidable veg and i we have a side project called grow do it and that's our outlet for this sort of kids education around sustainability permaculture regenerative living that's why that was formed to create resources to link people together who are already working in this space and to get some sort of assistance out there to let these kids know hey there are so many answers out there they are tried and tested answers out there and you choose the ones that suit your situation because you can actually do something
2: can i just ask quickly if there's any of those particular campaigns from when you were a kid that you remember quite strongly brenna like some of the the songs or if we if we went and dug up some of them it's like i remember the ones from my childhood were all about Uh, Amazon deforestation, I remember some TV show where everyone was living on a submarine because there's no oxygen left below, like, above the surface because Amazon was gone. Like, (laughs) it's not real late 80s, early 90s, dark, dark, dark stuff.
3: (laughs) From my childhood I can remember the film Fern Gully, which uh, was about the big bad deforestation guys coming in and and destroying... the beautiful forest that was there and the film avatar is actually quite a similar plotline to to Gully.
1: hello hope you can stay with us for seven nightly news coming up at six a huge response to clean up australia day hundreds of thousands of volunteers help out the us okay. shows little and interest also in i Iraq remember clean up, up
3: australia Rangers. day getting out there in the heat of the summer and picking up cigarette butts in the cemetery next to the school convent um, feeling like we were doing our bit
2: that's perfect <laughs> I'll be able to drop in some very evocative chords and, you know, excerpts from those campaigns. They're wonderfully. Um, if you had to create a similar campaign for today's kids, it sounds like what that would be is kind of the animated um, version of your your illustrations. It's sort of focused on solutions in your home, in your neighborhood. Um, it's not, hey kids, here's the macro situation. It's like, here's, here's a little bit of that, but here's what you can actually do in your home. Is that accurate yeah it's important
3: in this messaging to explain that individual action is important especially where it benefits you and the wider world but being community-minded is probably the most important thing so for kids that takes the form of plugging in with your school and let's do an energy audit in our school and then see how our, through behavior change you can actually reduce your energy bills by 30 to 60 percent in almost every school overnight that's behavior change that's not paying for solar panels or anything, which would even take you further to that goal. And then with adults as well, it's about joining local groups. It's about talking to your MPs. I mean, kids can get in on that too, and it's had fantastic results. So as individuals, we can do a lot to change our households and that's really important. And then as a group of households, we can actually change things on a much greater level through community. And then drawing the link between that action and, the national level, and the global level is also really empowering. We can see, oh, here are all these other communities doing these things. And look, they change how energy is created in their state. And then the majority of states ended up changing it at the national level. And we're all actually working towards this cause. It's really important to see that we've made progress behind us and, and in front of us, there's a really clear path of where we're going. Wonderful.
0: When I teach adults how to make stuff, which is what I do, I do upcycling things. Like you you give kids like something to get creative with and they will just go for it. Like, I don't need to do anything at all. You give adults something to get with creative with and they need instructions. They can't handle it. And I was wondering if like when adults in particular grow their first radish and that sort of thing, if that you can spot when they're having that reaction of joy and absolute child excitement and then moderating that to be appropriate and how (laughs) how you um, like try and break down that barrier and elicit that curiosity.
3: I spent six years living in South America and learning about permaculture and eventually teaching permaculture over there and there was a a four-day permaculture living course that we were instructing over in Brazil and my role in that course, permaculture over there is really all about natural construction and community living, whereas in Australia they say the gateway drug to permaculture is gardening. It's very different depending on the context, how people relate to permaculture. So over there we were doing some natural construction, some gardening, some um, non-violent communication and other types of community living workshops and I was running a recycled mosaic workshop, so showing people how they can waterproof surfaces in their bathroom or you know, make beautiful artworks or make the stairs more durable out of a waste product, which is discarded tile. And we had a big group of people we were all making this kind of mural together, you know, all working on this one project with with a sense of what the other's doing and, and what I've done and how does that all fit to make a coherent whole. And this guy, Diego, started solving during the workshop and we asked, what's going on for you, Diego? And he said, I just haven't, I used to be so creative as a kid and I haven't had the opportunity to express this level of freedom and creativity for decades now. And he said, I'm happy. I'm crying because I'm happy. And so I've seen that same pattern replicate itself over and over in different expressions of regenerative living, for want of a better word. So planting out the types of lettuce you like to put in your salad bowl, in one pot on your balcony, and watching a salad bowl grow before your eyes is creative expression. And making wild soda for the first time, which is just a bit of fruit, a bit of water, a spoon of honey, and two days with the lid on, and it comes out this fabulous probiotic fermented beverage People are absolutely joyful and gleeful about this. And you kind of get this, the childlike effervescence <laughs> come back to your life through learning new skills. You know, life can be quite heavy You kind of, you drive and you're in gridlock and then you're in the office and then you may be doing a job that doesn't really make your heart sing. And then you come back and you're tired and the kids are there and you've got to put on dinner, but you don't know what to cook. And then the TV's just the only thing that can help you shut down. But when you learn a new skill, like making wild soda or trying out sourdough and you pull it out and it's actually worked, that sort of joy is something that you can't really replicate in any other way so it's it's a beautiful gift really, to be on to to show people that a, a life of learning and and new excitement every day is actually possible.
0: Yeah and i think one of the best parts about that for me is certainly that i think of that as survival skills you know of just like that's how you get through it is finding a way and being really really excited about it and happy to be there um and i think that comes out in your art
3: yeah and the you know we we saw this a couple years ago here when um it wasn't the fires a year ago that were all through in New South Wales. It was it was the year before we had a really harsh summer in central Victoria and there was a fire quite close to our house for a couple of days and it's 40 degrees Celsius and it's dark and there's helicopters flying overhead and ash raining down and there's a power blackout and you think, oh, now I can't charge my phone and I need my phone because it's a survival situation and we're, trying to defend our property and luckily, one of the three properties here is off grid. And I know that's not an option for everybody, but it's a good example of how we could use the power that was there. There was resilience built into this scenario. We also had water tanks, so with without town water, they're still, which they're experiencing in Texas with the, the deep freeze and people don't have water at the moment. Well you know, water tanks, at least where they're not frozen, <laughs> can be really beneficial for resilience. And it's also about building that into your daily life. So always having more than a couple of days of food, or as we've seen with COVID, toilet paper, <laughs> or being open to other options. It's not just about kind of a hobby level, growing some nice heirloom tomatoes to show off to your friends. It's really about building a more resilient household. And in turn, building more resilient communities. We had so much extra to share when COVID first happened, when there was the first lockdown in Australia, and people were worried. Everyone felt insecure. It was really scary. There were empty supermarket shelves. And we could say, hey, we have a lot extra. Hands up who needs help. And We'll come and drop off some packages for you guys. We've got dried fruit. We've got preserved fruit. We've got huge stores of grain. you know, we're, we're, we're out to help you guys. We've been ready for this moment.
2: So really, this is a, a good chance to, to geek out, Brenna, and this, this show, and unlike, you know, a lot of other interviews you give, and I, I love that future setting one. Thank you for that. Um, we kind of really encourage and are here for the kind of, you know, art geek talk. You can really go deep on things. And um, so is there any like aspects about your art that like, okay, um, I hate to phrase it as like the, what advice would you give your younger self question? But it sometimes can be quite interesting for like, imagine there's a 20 year old illustrator out there. Maybe they've gone through education in illustration and visual comms and design, maybe they haven't, but they're really climate concerned and they want to know how they can, you know, practice their art in such a way that that matters, like, you know, art as their form of climate engagement. what advice I guess would you have for them to kind of follow you in this path that you walk now?
3: If I were chatting to an emerging artist who was uh, a little younger than me and had a little more life ahead of them, I think I would, my advice would be to keep drawing, always drawing, draw what you love, draw what you don't like drawing. (laughs) Draw what pushes you, what challenges you, draw what is comes really easily to you, and keep going. You never know which twists and turns will happen in life that will mean that what you're doing, even if, it, even if a drawing seems totally irrelevant, you'll be very surprised at how relevance will find you. I never thought I'd be doing cartooning when I was a professional portrait artist, and it's come in really handy, actually. <laughs> it's it's actually brought about a career for me so keep drawing but also think about what cause makes you come alive and immerse yourself in that cause find out who's doing things about this what books are written on that cause what what draws you to it um what great things are happening in that space and i'll tell you even on a practical level as far as earning a living goes if you have a niche and that niche is bringing about positive change in the world it will really help you to find work and it will also help you get up every day and say to yourself wow today's another chance that I have to make a difference in the world so the combination of those I think leads to longevity as an artist and it's definitely made my art practice feel so fulfilling
2: I listened back recently to Song Exploder, the podcast I shamelessly ripped off when coming up with Artbreaker, And I listened to an episode of um, The National, which is like one of my favorite indie rock bands. And I'm not a musician, I don't have a musical bone in my body, but I could hear them talking about music all day and it inspires me and fills my cup and I just love people who are good at something talking about the thing they love to do. And I got those same kind of tingles just now listening to you, Brenna, so I think we've, I think we've done it. I think you've got a good episode here. <laughs>
3: Cool guys, that pleasure. was really fun, thank you. I mean, would it be interesting for people to hear exactly how I do one of my works, like the Instagram ones, like the, the real process that goes behind that? So the process for creating one of my artworks has changed over the past year. The original process, and keep in mind, I've only been an illustrator for three years since the book Retro Suburbia came out. At the start, I knew nothing about Photoshop. I had no photo editing programs on my computer. Everything was hand drawn. There was tracing paper involved. There were pencils and erasers and lots of redrawing. And so almost all of my work up until six months ago, all of my work up until six months ago was drawn that way. I'd I'd draw in pencil, um, discuss with the person uh, who was leading the project, the author or um, the academic or whoever I was working with, the NGO, get the draft perfect, draw it in pen, photocopy it onto heavier paper, and then paint it in watercolor, scan it, and hand it in. Now, six months ago, the big changing point was when my mom gave me an iPad that she wasn't using anymore, and I had a go. And I'll tell you, for those artists out there who have never used one, I was such a purist, I was so against digital stuff, but it feels exactly like you're drawing. And I draw things in that way, and instead of having to redraw something, I can just, erase it really easily on the screen. I still print it out. I still color it all by hand with watercolor. I love that effect. And I'm not sure that computers will ever get to replicating the magic of, and the immediacy of watercolor. And then scan it, move things around if I have to, and upload it to Instagram where, you know, it's a huge evil multinational company, but I'll tell you, it has been fantastic for the climate movement and also for artists. We get to have an art show every day thousands of people show up so that's a bit of my art process it's been getting easier which is which is a good thing
2: <laughs> we were really shocked at how accessible and keen you were to come on and um you, you've you've been absolutely a champion thank you so much for your time especially mid-move
3: oh, i'm looking forward to hearing it And then tomorrow the TV crews are coming from Gardening Australia to film. So I had to – this is why this is still up. This is all coming in hand luggage with me tomorrow. I had to make my house appear lived in before I fly out on Wednesday. (laughs) Busy (laughs) times.